out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. And this week, it's going to be the singer, songwriter, musician, and general all-round creative type. It is going to be Lorraine Hayward, who also sometimes goes goes as uh, Lolly Hayes. And she was in a band called Johnny Boy, indeed. And uh, they did a classic single that we all loved with so much passion. It was titled, You Are The Generation That Bought More Shoes and you get what you deserve. It's a great single, it's a great album. But she was also in another band before that called Sister Lovers, who were famous for many reasons. But the main one possibly is to do with Oasis getting signed at King Tut's in Glasgow. That famous night when Anna McGee went along to see the Manchester-based band and then sort of signed Oasis. Anyway, this is the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years. Lorraine or Lolly, take it away. Well, I think like you, I mean, I was born in 68. So uh, I think, and I still remember, like, I think I was living in London still then when I I remember hearing like um, Space Oddity um, and I think we had it on, on a single and stuff, you know, which I just play nonstop. It was kind of either that or my dad was really into Glenn, Glenn Campbell, is it? <laughs> yes, the country and western singer. <laughs> yeah, and he was sort of, they were sort of kind of into that. But um, yeah, so I kind of was into that. I think the first sort of single I bought, I can never remember whether it was um, Adam and the Ants, Ant Music, or it was... Um, uh, 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 our friends electric right uh, Gary Newman I thought you were going to say I thought you were building up to Toya there but um, not Toya at no all. I do I, no 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 I do sort of remember Toya and I do like her in her latest recreation <laughs> yes well we were very excited with It's a Mystery so then during the 80s obviously because I, I suppose for me you know the the kind of you know, I missed punk. I was just too young for punk. But I had an older brother who was into prog rock during the 70s. So I bizarrely have a certain love of or guilty pleasure of po- uh, pro- um, prog rock. But it was kind of the indie world from kind of 83, you know, and the Smiths were my band, you know, for five years. It was just fantastic. You know, it was indie pop. But also there was the John Peel show with, you know, loving everything that he played from sort of the Bundu boys to Gregory Isaac to you know, the Triffids, the go-betweens and all that kind of music. So did you, when you hit 16, you were probably, it was probably 16, 18, it was probably the mid 80s by then, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the thing was, when I was, uh, I was I was born in London, but then my family moved up to Derbyshire when I was like eight, you know, basically. And so uh, to Buxton and um, it was just really hard. Like when I was like, Luckily enough, like when I was eight or nine, my granddad, who was like such a big Beatles fan, and um, my granddad was in the um, in the Second World War down on the Nile, but he was actually in the band down there, and right. he just came back with love of like you know he was a bass player and he was a keyboard player. So as we were growing up, like Elvis was a really big thing for us, and like and, and all this sort of stuff because he used to play it. And when I was like eight or nine, he he sort of made me go to made me go to was like um, guitar lessons. So I was did a lot of like classical guitar then. So when useful. I was young. But but you know I just didn't 
as soon as I got to 13 and 14 and discovered school disco and um, Dexies, Dexies and stuff, I suppose, would be then, or was that later, or... I don't know. There was so much amazing music coming out. I just, I just kind of was like, yeah. Why do I want to know Adagio in G when there's all this other sort of kind of music going on? Yes. But then when we were like sixteen and like there was like a very few punks sort of. Well, we were. I think we were punks or goths. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it's in a merge. Yeah, in Buxton, it was like really hard to get John Peel there, you know, and it was like. Right. My my uh, on the radio was just sort of like a really odd thing, and my 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 cousin was um in London still, and so we used to sort of get she used to send me loads of tapes with like the Cramps and um you know that was sort of kind of my my early like um you know I think I sixteen who went to see the Cramps and right that's such we a cool went, thing that was like you know and then I think we saw the Damned and it was sort of kind of around that time it was like New Model Army and it was like um uh what she called uh, Susie and the Banshees I think I even saw in their later sort of thing so I was just always into um music anyway it was like I was going to going um get trying to get out of Buxton basically and and to sort of hear all this music which wasn't really that easy to do sort of um where I was but then luckily like at 19 I kind of um I got a job in Manchester in Affleck's Palace, you know, and uh, and then uh, you know so much sort of stuff started to come out, you know, like um, like the Stone Roses and um, Happy Mondays and all that sort of like sort of yes, was it kind of indie dance? Is it? You, I mean, at had... the beginning of like the Stone Roses, it wasn't, but I think by the end of it, it kind of was. Yes, well, they went from very sort of two minute or even. 90 second indie pop songs to to suddenly yeah. these kind of great dance anthems and the, I mean the primal scream and um, the happy mondays also made that little sort of slip because a lot of indie bands that I loved just kind of couldn't face it they thought we're not doing dance remixes we're not going to make the next album we're not taking ecstasy and getting into raves and that was kind of the end of them really but a few bands <laughs> did and then you got you know obviously the stone roses and then the hacienda and then bands like the orb came along didn't they or yeah. you know there was um guru josh there was the orbital and people like that and a guy called gerald so there was that kind of dancing that started to mushroom in a great well, enthusiastic I think, I think, way i think i think at that time like when um so when I when I moved to Manchester, I mean, I met I met a lot of people, and in in that in um in Affleck's and the Hacienda, you know, we'd sort of see people out and about all the time. And then I think one um one time, me and me and Debbie, who I just met on the, the scene there, who was in I was in Sister Lovers with. I mean, to be honest, we were like such big fans of things like Big Star and Love, and we were so into Pebbles music, you know, like all this we'd sort of kind of gone over into like lying on the floor, listening to Beefheart and, you know, and, uh, yes, God, that's, and, that's a and quite Zapper a... and stuff like that, you know, but um, I remember we went to, we hitchhiked to Spain to work one summer. Cause we thought we'd just, that's just what people would do. Go to Spain and go to Ibiza and, and yes. things like that. And I just remember it was a time when that song like Move Any Mountain came, every mountain came out and loaded. Oh, the shaman. Yes. Yeah, and all this sort of stuff. And people were sort of really going on like that. But I think we sort of came back and went, right, well, even though they're great, we'd sort of had enough of that. And we wanted to sort of 
I don't know, mate, you know, go back to our sort of, well, see, we were into sort of garage music, what you would call garage music, you know, like the, like Pebbles compilations and stuff. And at that time as well, we used to hitchhike quite over to Liverpool quite a lot to see bands. Yes. And um, do you remember the band called The Stairs? God, I don't. The Stairs, that's a terrible confession to make. No, I can't, <laughs> I can't even, but it's terrible if you have a lie, isn't it? Kind of, yes. No, no. No, no, no I didn't. I didn't come across The Stairs. Well, the Stairs were a band over in Liverpool that were kind of Edgar Summertime, he was called then, Edgar Jones now. Um, they, they decided they were going to go through every single musical genre and stuff and just smoke loads of weed and like, you know, it, but it was like really, it was, it was just really sort of like, I don't know, we kind of, we kind of had this idea that, yeah, we wanted to be, we wanted to be in a band and make music like boys made music, you know, and um, stuff like that. So Debbie learnt to play guitar and we roped in Alice to play bass and we got Alan in who was like a roadie for like, he was working as a roadie for the, the Roses and stuff. Right. Um, so it was sort of kind of around that time and like we, me and Debbie were just working in a pub as well. And, and then one day like, like Liam Gallagher came into the pub, you know, and he was like really young then and it was before he was in a band or anything. But we were just because he had his hair like um, Tom, not Tom Hinckley, the other guy from the uh, In Spiral Carpet. Oh, Clint. Clint. He had a Clint Boone sort of hair. Yeah. And so we were like we're both working being evil behind this thing. So we were sort of sort of taking the mickey out of him quite a lot. But anyway, we just became friends, you know, and they used to come over. We were living in Burnage at the time. And then it was just sort of kind of after that that we... Um, we got Liam just got in touch with us and said, "Oh well, we're gonna um, me and my brother." Well, he had a band anyway. He always had a band with um, uh, um, what's it called? It the other guitarist guy, oh, Bonehead. Bonehead, that's it. And they were oh, doing stuff, and I sort of knew his brother as well because he was working for the Inspiral Carpets at the time, Noel and that. You know, so we sort of. They got in touch with us and said, oh, well, we've got a room in the boardwalk. Do you want to come and sort of, do you want to, do you want to share the room? Because you have to pay for it, you know, and it's sort of, I think it was about £27 a week each if we sort of all did it or something. Like yes. That. And so, yeah, so we sort of, we went and did that. And it was like, we were just so serious at the time about, I don't know, so many years ago, but it's like so serious at the time about wanting to be sort of like a guitar band and, and stuff. And, and then I remember like we were going up to play in King Tut's and then Debbie asked them to, she said, oh, why don't you come? We've got this gig, blah, 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 blah. And then they did, they turned up in their big gold bus. And uh, and then Alan, I think at the time, McGee had come to see Debbie because they were like really good friends. I think they were like sort of, I think he was just like, you know, they were sort of friends from. Yes, this is this is so. this is a kind of a famous narrative, isn't? It? This is the bit where Alan turns up but doesn't realise to see your band and doesn't yeah, realise he's. Yeah, and then signs then. <laughs> God, you've got to laugh in this life. You have to laugh, don't you? But then, yeah. when you, but but every band I ever interview, you know, at that age, takes everything so seriously. So often people say the one thing I regret is that we didn't kind of enjoy it more. We were just all a bit uptight and. We were, I think, up quite a bit then. I mean, we were all studying. I remember us all like in the in this big square in Glasgow, just shitting ourselves because it was sort of like 
in our minds, we were like the greatest band in the world, and like, and uh, and you know, but then in their minds, they were as well. But like, yes. you know, so were you were he- were you headlining that night, or were you the no? We were, the... we were supporting. It was I think it was boyfriend, and then I wasn't. Can't remember. It was like the BMX Bandits or something. It was it was a creation kind of night, and then we right. were on, and then Oasis weren't even on the bill, and then they sort of. It was just them. We were because when we were in this when we were in the room with them, like they all had some quite nice gear, and our gear was a bit shit. Yeah. So we used to kind of use their gear when they weren't there, and we used to get these little notes off them, going like, "Keep off our stuff." (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And things like this, but you know, it was it was all good, and so we kind of. You know, and then after that, I remember us being in the room, and then they'd, but then they getting signed, you know, and then they were getting loads more and more gear and more gear, and it was sort of like, it was sort of kind of time where it was just, I don't know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it kind of ran its course. I think we were too serious. I think we stuck ourselves in a rehearsal room for so many years, and then by the time we came out, it was sort of like, is that even what people are listening to? I don't. Know. Yes, God, I, so yes, this is kind of an amazing moment, you know, it appears in all the great narratives and films and documentaries, this gig. So did you meet Alan that night at all? Or yeah, it- I'd met him a couple of times before that, because he'd kind of like been so into like the um, the Hacienda scene, you know, like, because we'd kind of sort of, I think a lot of us had sort of kind of gone, oh my God, Jay, let's go to the Hacienda, or like, we were sort of like eat lived it for like you know quite a few years and then I think we all kind of thought well then we just actually want to be in a band you know yes. and, um, and, and, and also you, you know we had to sort of I think at some point you have to start kind of stop living that sort of lifestyle you know and um and stuff but yeah it was it was really good it was really good while it lasted and then yeah so I, was, I sort of kind of did was sort of doing all of that and then basically that just that just all fell apart when I was about 25 and um did you you ever get into the did you ever record or release any material no we did record some stuff because um but I don't know I don't know where it is I think Debbie might have it I mean funnily enough like one of the songs that we did then I actually recorded with Debbie a couple of years ago but you know, I think I just sort of got to that point in our lives now where you kind of make music for yourselves more than anything. And there was like one song that I always really liked from then. Um, but it was mainly Debbie's band. I was the guitar player. I wasn't the singer in this. Yes. It was Debbie's. Debbie was the sort of, uh, she was the singer, guitar player. I was just the lead guitarist, you know. So I was just sort of sort of remembering all my scales and doing stuff like yes, that. Yes, you're great classical music. <laughs> no, no. So so then you 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 break up and then you see Oasis become the biggest band in the world and creation yeah, records become yeah. on you know the BBC news headlines and on the on the paper. So then what what, what do you do before the next musical well, well you see when I was 25 and then I was just sort of kind of oh you know we had a big fallout in the band like you do and that um and then I decided to move to Liverpool because I thought, well, Liverpool's a great city for music. I mean, I've just been reading the Dave Haslam series of like little books about Manchester have been really interesting, you know, yes. sort of like I kind of think it's one of them things if you're you're at that time when you're that age and you just walk around with a guitar on your back because you might write a song, you know, because it's also it's so so important and like and yes. things like that. So um 
Yeah, so I moved over to Liverpool and then I had like a few bands over there. I found it quite hard over there. It was sort of very much like, if you don't want to jam to the Floyd for like hours on end. I mean, I'm not, was never a big Pink Floyd fan. You know? No, no, after. I, I just, I just couldn't, you know, it wasn't just one of them things, but over there it was very male orientated band wise, you know, and I was, I had a sort of, um, one one lad that was I was playing with like with a drummer and stuff, but it all just was sort of like uh, it was a, quite a closed shop if you know what I mean. There's like you know that the Lars had been so big, hadn't they? And um, yes, you know a lot of Liverpool bands so amazing like Echo and the Bunnymen. I mean I think Echo and the Bunnymen was probably the one in Buxton that we were you know we were kind of sort of really into and stuff. And I suppose um, Julian Cope had also been huge. And then there was, because Liverpool's always got this thing with Eric's, hasn't it? And the band called Deaf School yeah. and then Bill Drummond and Holly Johnson. But that was all kind of quite yeah. early 80s, by 80s. Well, so. I used to rent a room in Pete Wiley's gaff for a while. So, yeah, I heard about all of them a lot, quite a lot. And there was always so Frankie Goes to Hollywood, you see, sort of like. From, yes. I mean, there's so many great bands in Liverpool, so. I did a couple of things over there and I had this, oh, some terrible band names and stuff, which I'm not even going to go back into. <laughs> but um, but then like, I, and then, so that was just sort of more of just being in bands and in local scenes, you know? It was like, yes. I don't think really, you know, then you would sort of get a gig and you would uh, then be given loads of tickets that you had to sell to your friends and you'd sort of see people and go, oh, come to my gig, then end up giving them away and then having to pay for all the tickets <laughs> that you didn't like yes. um, thing and stuff. So um, that was that. it was a really good musical sort of, it was a really good musical, um, like a learning period though, because in Pete Seller, he had like a whole like studio. So I was hanging, you know, like in the Egbeth area, there's so many like, poets and like guitarists and, oh yes you had you know, the liverpool poets didn't you the 60s there was all that yeah, culture and also so paul simpson from the wild swans and the guy from yeah absolutely there's such first a, pictures such a, yes but also i was like kind of really into like things like the klf you know and um bill drummond's ideas of like i mean i think that came later in some of his books and stuff but the idea of like incorporating art with music as well. It was such a like mind blowing thing, you know, like when they did the moo moo and then they did the cows, the dead cows on the motorway and things like, <laughs> yes. like that. It was good. It was Vince and Tammy were net. So then, yeah. So then as we were trucking through the nineties, well, yes, the John Major years, Team Tony, New Labour. Did you, yeah. so were you still in Liverpool trying to get music no, to and you? Then, um, yeah, so look, basically when I when I was in Liverpool, like just towards the end before I moved away, I like I met Davo, who's like my musical partner in in Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy, yes. Yeah, and then um yeah, so then um we we kind of like was like yeah he was he was working a lot in London anyway and was moving to London, so we were just like yeah well let's just go and do the band in London instead, you know. So then again, I moved again. I think I think when you move when you're young, you're kind of quite easy to move sort of cities and I don't know. <laughs> well, just, well, normally there isn't quite so much stuff to carry, so that's quite handy, isn't it, when you're still well, in a few yeah. boxes. And it, it eventually a becomes a pain in the yeah. bum, really, doesn't it? But anyway, um, yes. So how did yeah. you meet 
your your bandmate in Johnny Boy. Davo, like um, I met him like um, I just knew him because he was kind of he was a roadie in um, Liverpool, and he was working for Pete Wiley, and he was working for the farm, and you know he was kind of like just like a person around town. And when I was doing some of the gigs there, he'd come and roadie for me a bit, you know, um, uh, you know, do my guitars and stuff. But then I was just always just as soon as I met him, I thought like, well, he's the only true punk rocker in Liverpool, you know, and uh, I just wanted to, you know, do be in a band with him, which is yes. he just didn't have any, he didn't have any thingies about being in a band. He was just like loved bands and music, which was like the same as me, you know, we just loved the whole sort of pop whole sphere of like you know what bands could be and, and could become you know so then when we we moved to London and then um around that time I think he was working for Mick Jones quite a lot so we were like sort of hanging out over in West London quite a bit and I was still sort of writing songs and we were sort of sort of doing stuff a bit but then you know like life just got involved you know and um you know, we were just going out and like basically doing doing some band stuff, and then um, we um, the first the first single that we had out was Johnny Boy Theme, and I think I'd scribbled the words down for that after watching um, uh, 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 oh god, it's gone from my mind. <laughs> it's my because the, the the name of the band comes from the Martin Scorsese film, isn't it? Mean yeah, Streets. Mean Street. Because yeah. I remember growing up in, 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 especially in the 80s, I suppose, getting your VHS player and getting those kind of must-see films and obviously Taxi Driver and Mean Streets with, you know, yeah. Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro was, you had to, I did like them, but you also had to like them as well if you wanted to appear cool and groovy and frankly. Well, I think, I think I think I kind of was like, I'd kind of like watched it and I'd scribbled down some words and, and blah, 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 blah. But it was around about that time when music technology was coming into itself you know yes. we were using we had cubase and um and things you know and things like that and then i think i think like we we sort of, sort of done that song and then that just got these samples together um and was playing it to me to begin with and i couldn't even really sort of hear the song but like without me singing on it you know you know you know what i mean and then yes. um, we um anyway it just sort of grew uh, and grew um, the track, you know, and we were kind of like using so much, so much, um, you know, because sort of, we were sort of kind of come from that both sort of sides of like music sampling with like Public Enemy and also, you know, all that whole. Well, did you? Because with Mick Jones, you had Big Audio Dynamite, and I remember that was one Big of Audio those. Big Audio Dynamite. Come on, That's every beatbox. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Dad was 14, I think, when he used to follow them around, you know, and that's how he kind of, he got to work with Mick, you know, he was sort of kind of some 14-year-old lad at the back door, you know, sort of thing. So, <laughs> yes. uh, and, and we also had Six Six Sputnik as well, which was... Um, well, uh, yeah, Six Six Sputnik, I remember the hairspray. Well, uh, and also DJ Shadow, I think a lot of the time. Oh yes, yeah. Kind of would be saying things like DJ Shadow and stuff. But I suppose it was still a bit, little bit of a further move along from, um, you know, the indie sort of uh, dance and using sort of stuff with it. But what we were doing, we were sampling '60s stuff, 
and adding that as well to loops and beats and 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 stuff like that so we did a we had a demo of like johnny boy theme and then um i don't know how i can't remember how this happened but james dean bradfield heard it um and then he just loved it and was like oh my god i can hear so much northern soul and stuff in this because as well when i worked in Affleck palace i was next to the northern soul kind of guy and yes. you know, i don't know it's just everything that seeps into you during your life you know but um and then he he basically said well i want to i want to mix it you know so booked um booked today in um a studio i can't remember which one it was but i do remember like where we were and, he, and dave erringer um came with him and we went in and like i don't think they realized that actually in the in the cubase uh session there was like 96 tracks in it because everything is built up yes. from either like loops from something or like pings from something or you know it, it's all like loads and loads of different sounds anyway so we went in the studio and uh we we went in with them and they were just like, oh, you go to the pub and we'll do this. And then we came back and they were like, still, I've only got 50 tracks to go through, you know, to sort of work <laughs> out like where it all sat, you know, and stuff. So um, anyway, we got we, we we just about finished that off. And then it still wasn't finished because it still only had one like one verse in it. If you got that one, that was um in the end, it got put out on Booby Trap, which was a little indie label in Wales. That's why we always keep getting called the Welsh duo, Johnny right. Boy. Okay, because yes. Because our first single got put out, and Booby Trap had a um, a uh, uh, like a singles club, you know. So every 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 month, it had put a single out, and it it put um, Johnny Boy theme out. So, which was like amazing for us and and after that luckily like i think we got played on the radio um on some london radio thing and then someone got in touch with us like a manager got in touch with us and sort of basically there began began the sort of hell or other side of it i don't really know like um uh we got a he was a great manager but we were pretty intense kids. <laughs> That's all I can <laughs> say. You know, we were always forever trying to get him to write his name in blood on pieces of paper and stuff. Oh, and good. So you worked you worked your manager. That's that's exciting. Normally it's the other way around, but you you um, Well, we hopefully... were just like we were just sort of like we were kind of so involved or in this idea of what we thought music was. Yes. That it was you either was with us or you weren't with us. Um, uh, John M. John John Emperor. John. I remember. But anyway. Um, but anyway. Oh, was he? That, was he your so, man? Oh, so that was the manager you were trying to remember your son. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Easily forgot. John. John. Emperor management. He was a really good guy. And um, anyway, so then after that, we kind of um, like generation was. Like the singles yes. we were working So this one the out. one of the great singles of all time that still kind of I mean, it, it, we do we do find it like I remember like about ten years ago I was in I was seeing my mum and and then in and the and the Times is it is it the Times Sunday thing? It was like the top hundred singles of all time. 
And it appears there's there's a guy who I really like called Adam Curtis who makes these kind of very interesting documentaries about oh, yeah. about system, you know, systems and politics and you I know. I love him. We love him. Do you know what? It was like it couldn't be more Johnny Boy than that. I mean, Adam Curtis, like um, we we loved him for hypernormalization. Yes. And and also like Did we, you we know actually... your song did you know your song was gonna get played on one of his his you know programs? Well we didn't know until it came out. Um but then it sort of came out and we sort of kind of like got a few um people got in touch with us and was like, Oh my god, you're on it and it's like we were just like the most made up we could ever be, you know. It was like he's he's like We've always been sort of quite political and like, you know, uh, but just just this sort of kind of ultimate, like, I don't know, whatever that's right and wrong with music and society. And I suppose that comes from the Clash as well. You know, we're quite really big, like Clash fans and stuff. And, you know, that that um, I always sort of say it now, you know, like, do you mean it, man? You know, like it's um, and we just had we just had sort of like such fun around that time because we. We, I remember we got like a rehearsal room around the back of Denmark Street and the, literally the rehearsal room we had was right below where the Pistols had their room. Right. Like you, they're, they're, you know, the one that everyone always go, you know, because we just watched the movie. Have you watched the Pistols movie? Well, the no, the, the, the one on, no, I haven't seen the one on Disney. Okay, okay. It's quite, it is quite good. I do enjoy it. I like the, I like the Steve Jones angle from it because we always hear from Rotten, don't we? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. We've we've had enough of John. Yeah, but we we had this brilliant day when we were down there once and like um, Glenn Matlock came into the shop and Flea used to run the shop opposite, uh, upstairs. And he said, oh, them two are downstairs. and And he came down and he saw what we were trying to do, make this little studio under the shop. And he ended up going to us, he goes, oh, I've got a load of soundproofing you could have. I've just done my basement. And then the next week, like Glenn Matlock turned up in his little car like that with like loads of uh, like, thing on for our studio and stuff. What a handy, but, um, what a handy man. That's nice. But, that is very but, good. Um, but yeah, like, um, yeah, sorry, go on. You know, I was going to say, yeah, so how did the, you know, this great song come together? You are the generation that bought more shoes. Well, I think it came like right from like, I think the lyrics are Davos, you know, like he wrote them when he was like 14 or 15 or something. And then when we were like always doing stuff like on like Cubase and things, it, I, know, I sort of knew the song, but it was always a really fast, it was a kind of a, like a really fast song. And then um, it was sort of like one of these where we had like loads of ideas and we were both, because we're both writers and we both had songs on, on different computers and then, um, and then I just remember waking up one morning and hearing it with the spectre drum beat, you know, like the the dum 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 yes. at the beginning and singing that bit over it. So then we were kind of like, so we just kind of sort of like mixed the things between the two. But I mean, oh my God, it took forever. It's like, it, it was one of them that, you know, you kind of sort of think in the end, will it ever, will it ever be finished? <laughs> and then you see what happened was, so, so we did a, um, we had a demo of that. Then by that time we had a manager and then of course we had to do that. Well, we didn't do that thing. We would refuse to do it. We weren't going to go and do any showcases for anyone. It was like, we'll do a show, but we did it in our friend's bar opposite. And we were like, well, if record companies want to come, they want to come. Yes. 
<laughs> it's their <laughs> loss. Yeah, it's their loss anyway, you know, like this. And then um so we sort of we sort of yeah, so it was absolutely packed. It was one of the most craziest um sort of things, you know, but um then we you know, oh, and then well, we went through loads of stuff anyway. And then we ended up signing to Mercury, which was kind of before you sign to a major label, they kind of go, "We love you. You do everything you want to do. We did all the artwork. You do all this music. It's brilliant. We just want to sign you." And then you get signed, and then you get like some guy in flip flops telling you that oh, how to they can market you to something or other, and right, um, it just didn't didn't sort of go well it was okay it was just like a year and a half of hell and then they were really pushing us to finish the album and the thing is it's like talent takes a takes a while you know it's worth waiting for and everything that we were doing was like just stuff that that was you know everything was being added to like one thing at a time and I think they kind of like ran out of patience with us and and basically just put the single out you know before the album was finished right which was kind of a uh a blessing and a and a also but um uh, or yeah i don't know the other way to say it but um it was at the time we were kind of like well well if you put it out now not gonna let you re-release it because that's what everyone does and we're not doing that you know like they kind of do it on a download release thing and then they want it to be an indie hit and then they want to put it out again and then i think me and dav was just like became like the nightmare for them you know it was sort of like well we weren't going to do this and then we weren't going to do that and then they wanted us to make a video and we said well we want Don Letts to do it. We love Don Letts. We'd yes, absolutely. The, we'd got in touch with him ourselves. We'd sent him the track and said, you know, we want to do this video. Will you do it with us? And he got back to us and went, you know what? I It's the first song I'd heard in 10 years that, like, had a tingle in it halfway through or something like that. He said something a bit inappropriate, but I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and then, so we went back to our record label and went, "Oh wow, you know, he's gonna do it." And then, they basically did everything they could for us not to have him do it for some reason. They asked him for a CV. Dunlett said to us, "He rang us up. He went like, yeah, they just asked me for a CV, so I've just sent them like, you know, <laughs> like this biggest CV in the world. Who asked Dunlett for a CD uh, for a CV? You know? Yes, that's it's very strange." Odd. And then every other video thing that I think that they were wanting us to do was literally me stood in a shop with shoes. Right. You know, it was like, I see you in this shop with shoes. I see this giant shoe. I see this. And it's sort of like, you just not realise what the song is about. If you think it's actually about a shoe shop, <laughs> you don't understand what it's about. You oh, it's, know? A bit spinal, it's a bit spinal tap, isn't it, really? Yeah, it was sort of kind of... But then you sort of realise all these machinations that go on in record companies and stuff, you know. But um, anyway, so anyway, what we were doing is to, to, to finish the actual single. I mean, we went into the studio again with um, James Dean Bradfield and Dave Erringer, um, but the record company kept sort of sending it back and uh, we were, like, kind of not happy with it either. Um, but then, luckily enough, I, I think it was I think it was John Empson was our manager was was actually um, 
good enough to sort of suggest going into toe rag have you heard of toe rag studios no toe rag liam, yeah with liam watson i mean i think he did some um uh, uh the white stripes album in there and it's a it's basically like 60s dust recording studio in hackney which everything in there is like analog um and everything was sort of like you know there's no digital or anything and apparently we were the first band he ever let go in with a pro tools rig <laughs> right <laughs> because because generation was already up to like 120 tracks and we only wanted to go in to get like it mixed you know sort of, they you know they were going we'll go in and try it with this guy because we tried to mix it in other places with other things because as soon as we got signed we just wanted to be punk rock and we just wanted to we spent i mean back in them days i think it was 2003 we got signed and i think we spent 40 grand on pro tools straight away which was just i mean now i mean i use logic and i can get pro tools like you know 10 pound a month you know but back then it was just such a a thing we just wanted to take it all back from then anyway you know whatever money we got we wanted to be self-sufficient it was always yes. like that um punk rock energy where you know you have to you know only carry as much as you can carry kind of thing to travel with you know so um anyway we went in with toe we went in there and like and even stephen street came down that day i remember and he really loved the, the song as well and um but but um, Liam Watson was very much like he came in and he 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 always wore like a sort of um, uh, you know like a doctor's jacket with like pens in the pocket and he had a clipboard. And it was very much like he went through each he went through each um, track like went oh that goes to one because everything was mixed on a sixteen track desk through all yes. this analog output but it was like loads and loads and loads of stuff so but he would he was always very much like right this is my vibe and I'll do this and you don't get much say in it. When Stephen Street came down, I was like that in the other room going, I hate it. He's taken away all the other bits that we like. He's made it into a 60s song and blah, 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 blah. And he actually sort of said to us, which was really brilliant. He goes, he goes, look, just remember, it's never finished till it's finished. He says, you know, the things that he'd worked on with, um, um, was, it, well, was, um was it Suede and Morrissey? You, yeah, and all of this sort of stuff. He was and Mr. Britpop, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think. And he was sort of kind of going, yeah, because, you know, we would just bounce stuff back then and like, and then add another thing and bounce stuff. And this was in the days before, um, you know, digital and stuff. So what we kind of did then, it was really great that he was there and he sort of said it to us in this sort of meeting. So when we came out of there, we just said to uh, Liam, look, can we have it coming out of you straight back into our Pro Tools, you know? So we wanted the 16 tracks that you've met and we'd put it sort of oh just for our own things you know and blah yes. blah 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 and then um literally took it took it to our studio and was like right we have, you have to time stretch it a bit and moving it all back in but then added all the fireworks and the gongs and you know things like that i mean in a lot of our stuff there's a lot of sounds and stuff i remember once we were in like France or something and we kept hearing this bell ring every night and we thought well that's the best sounding church bell the last night we're going to go and record it going to be on something Excellent. and then that night they turned the bells off at 11 <laughs> and we were stood there and then we went into this bar and we were saying to them about it oh it must have been Spain because they they kind of came out with this huge paella dish and started bashing this paella dish and we've got that, and that ended up in one of the songs. I can't remember which one, but um, 
it was just like a it was it was, it was fantastic time for like uh thing as um you know actually, actually just creative energy and yes. stuff. But anyway the record company bit was all a bit crap and anyway they dropped us in the end <laughs> they put the single out and then was like yeah we can't really deal with you from now on Right. So that was Mercury. So who then yeah. put out the album? The album was quite hard to get hold of, I seem to remember. I had to buy it on eBay. Well, what happened was we, um, it, what was good is like, again, with our manager was really good and we had some really good lawyers and stuff. When, when we got a drop, they sort of basically gave us back all the stuff. So even though we paid to record it with them, you know, sometimes they keep hold of the recordings, record companies, but we just basically got back all of our stuff and then and then the next thing was which is really great about the you know about the world and that now i mean because the single was out there we got um a message from um a label in japan oh, i have to remember that one as well i can't remember what that one was called a label in japan that um was got in touch with us and said look we want to put the record out you know we want to put the album out we love this and it was it was not it was going really well over in japan and so they gave us some money mm -hmm. and then we kept we kept going <laughs> and we kept going and finishing it oh no was it them first oh and then it was sweden as well there was like a big club in sweden that used generation every night to finish their club and it had become right. like a big thing so the great thing is about it to anyone that's into music if you if you have a song and you have something that's like you know, you know, every, you know, or everyone just loves, it just grows on its own, you know. Yes. So, yeah, so we got a record deal in Sweden and we got a record deal in um, Japan and Australia as well. So Blimey. we kind of put all that money together. <laughs> we finished the album and then, um, yeah, so then um, Sweden put it out first and then we licensed it to, uh, yeah, to Japan and to Australia. And I think the thing was, it was like, we just learned how to do it ourselves as we went along. I mean, there was always, you know, back in the punk days and in the C86 era, you know, cassettes and stuff and, you know, making your own music and being your, you know, being able to produce things yourself were always just like really important to us, you know. So, so we did that and then we went over and we um, opened up Summersonic in Japan and we, we got another two members by then, AD and MD. And, um, you know, and we, we kind of, when the record came out, it was great. And then for a couple of, you know, a year or two years or something, we went out and about and played it, you know, and uh, we just, I just think at the end of that, we 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 kind of just got to say, to her, oh, right, okay, then like, I think we all need quite a rest now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the rest turns into longer and longer. And, you know, and it's like, as John Lennon says, you know, like, what's it, uh, you know, it's like life's what happens when you're doing other things, you know, or you're making other plans, you know, yes. and, um, and stuff like that. But I remember there's so many great things in this that, you know, I can really look back on and be go like, wow, you know, like we got um, a um, fax off um, uh, the, uh, the uh, director of Mean Streets, Martin Scorsese, because um, one of our friends had been in um, the New York film and... Uh, they played it to him and he just messaged them on a fax machine going, I love this song, it's great, you know. And we were like, <laughs> yes, it didn't matter to us because no, the whole absolutely. thing is about it was England didn't really go for us, you know. We didn't really have, even though when the single came out, we had sort of 
single of the week in like Guardian and then in like the Independent and we had it in everything. The actual newspapers didn't really follow suit, you know, and it was sort of, uh, even though we were kind of like, kind of getting um, offers, you know, like from Europe and like in Japan to go over there and, and someone even used like the album songs in America. Someone wrote a, um, a play that had them all the songs in and stuff, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, we were always like, oh, you know what, we've had a lucky life. It's all yes. been good. And I, that's why I couldn't believe it when you rang me up or you messaged me and was going like, do you want to be interviewed? I'm like, yeah, about what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought, God, have I got the wrong person? Yeah, so so that was, yes, the, the, a bit like the Sex Pistols, you never got, got a second album. So did you then, yeah. did you ever sit down and say, yeah, let's, you know, to quote Jim Morrison, this is the end, or did you? Did it just kind of just fade away? To be honest, I'm still, I'm still really good friends with Dav, you know, and we, we've already, we've always had the second album, go, you know, you know, the songs are all there, but we've just never got round to doing it, you know, like Dav's, everyone just does different things, you know, like I kind of, um, after the tour in Japan, I think it was like, 2008 or something or not oh, I can't remember we got back and then you know you basically have to look out for what you're going to do for the rest of your life you know you know you kind of go right well okay but we all need we all knew we needed some time off from it because yes it was it was very very sort of quite stressful as well as it being amazing it was also quite stressful I remember being stood in Japan like and in front of all these like crowded like 40,000 people going wow this is amazing you know, you kind of can remember them moments. Yes. And then you can also kind of remember going like, well, okay, you know, like the amount of times you can uh, uh, sit in a sit in a, a rehearsal room and, and wait four hours for a bass player to turn up. Sorry, AD. <laughs> it wasn't even <laughs> to do anything with that. But, you know, like it was definitely, you know, people just us doing, you know, just, just doing other things. You know, Dav now does like a lot of artwork and stuff. Um, and he still tours with like other bands and that. And um, I'm actually a music therapist now. So like, oh, fantastic. I still like, I still like, I still, I still get, I still get paid for playing guitar. You know, like I work with adults with mental health problems, you know, and I uh, run recording sessions and music sessions and live music shows. I still do them like every six weeks in Hackney. I work for this amazing charity over there. So, you know, like, and I had like a couple, just before lockdown, I'd got another band together, you know, and we were doing some shows and I'm recording things. And I think also, that, but um, with me, it, it's always got a like, it, it, I love the live thing, but it has to be the record thing for me. And until something sounds great as a, as a seven inch single or as a remix, or it's always got to get to that stage before. Yes, absolutely. And just briefly, just just going slightly back to the the great single. How did how did did you find out how Adam Curtis came across the band, the single, or was it just the fact that he heard it and thought, God, that's going to work well in one of my very complex kind of narratives? Well, you did know that he wanted to call the series "You Are the Generation That Bought More Shoes and You Get What You Deserve." No, I didn't know that. Allow it. I've got it on. It's um. Yeah, there was an there was an interview with him. Um, but you know what happened was after it came out and I left it like about six or seven or eight months after it had came out 
and uh you know i do i'm in charge of all the old sort of our stuff online and that you know and uh he still wasn't registering on our prs so i got in contact with him and he was just like a number one fan he just said like i just love that single it incorporates everything that i think is wrong and right about the modern day he goes i actually wanted to call it you are the generation that bought more shoes and you got what you deserve but the bbc just didn't it, it didn't have the catch you can't get you out of my head oh, yes. but, um but he's he was he was just like a, a a thing and i just said to him that like um his sort of imagery when we used to play live our whole thing was because we were like wanted to be sort of like a car not a cartoon band but it was me and Dav just to begin with, with all the backing tracks, you know, because all our stuff, you, you know, we actually got a drummer good enough to play the drums on stuff, but he would play along to everything else, you know. Yes. And so we always had a projector. So when we went to Japan, we always had a projector and everything. We're like a cut and cut and copy band where all the music is off other things and put together and, and all our videos, we had videos to every song as well, you know, like from all our favourite movies and from a Bonnie and Clyde and from all of this. And it was quite that sort of cut up technique. So I said to him in the um, email, I was just emailing with him. I said, Oh, I love your videos. I said, when we were, when we were out playing, I said, we used to do a lot of video um, stuff like that, you know? And he said, I goes, Oh, oh my God, if you ever do anything else, I want to do your videos. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> that is re that's worth reforming for actually, isn't it? Yeah, to meet him in the yeah. flesh. Because his, like, his music taste is extraordinary. I mean, he's it is, just... isn't it? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And when I when um, we knew about it, and I was like watching it all the way through, because we're right at the end of fourth episode, aren't we? Yeah. And you know, there's not very often in it though that he uses like pretty much the whole song, but our, that whole bit at the end was like three minutes of it, you know, like so. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, was... we're just we're just we were just we were just like you know we 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 couldn't be more happy about that you know sort of is our, our ultimate uh, blending you know i know my, my I think, yeah my, my appreciation of adam went up even more i thought my god right okay it's had you heard like, the single before that where did you oh yeah i did um i did have the single i did like i said i bought they had to i couldn't find the album so i got it eventually on ebay and i think it was quite expensive because <laughs> it was like you know what? i've got three boxes of it <laughs> in the garage <laughs> yeah. i could imagine yeah, it was one of those ones in the day you know because because often you know especially in the 80s it was really hard to find you know you know you'd see the single of the week in the nme but yeah. whether you'd ever hear it or be able to get it i think, I think, I think that's what we grew up with of that old idea of either listening to you wanted to hear um john peel and that and like my cousin used to recall john peel because we couldn't get it in buxton but you always wanted to go like to record shops to buy to get something that you, you get a bargain and lots of second-hand record shops like king uh is it kingfisher in manchester yes you know you'd go and like oh like oh my god like um you know safe as milk oh 2.99 i love that you know and it was like, <laughs> oh, all my records though are so scratched and stuff i'm in liverpool and i'm having parties and i got a record player a little while ago and thought i'm gonna play all my albums and it's like <laughs> yes it's it's a bit um <clears throat> frustrating but yeah no i have to i can't remember it might be just over the other side but anyway i did i did yeah. sort of buy a copy eventually because i'd only heard the single so i had to take a punt on the whole album thing oh fantastic right. but um <laughs> it was it was it, it was probably more annoying because after a while you become more obsessed with these things don't you, you think i'm going yeah. to get it whatever and Even for a while as well i mean um we had quite a lot of trouble with them um, with spotify and stuff that um 
especially with the single and that, because like even though Mercury weren't supposed to keep, you know, distributing it, they were still distributing it on Mercury and stuff. But yeah, and it was also yeah, me finding out how to put things on Spotify and that, you know, me, I got the, you know, I put the album on that and put the album onto platforms you know because sort of like we own it all now you know so which is fantastic yes so that must be nice you get your... we, 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 we 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 made it through pretty uns well not unscathed <clears throat> but you know we're still like we're, we're still i mean i only i only saw dav last night or the night before and we're still ranting about music which i think is is I think we came through it pretty well without. Yes, and Alan, and, and Alan's still there, very much on the musical. Alan right, is very much still there. You he's know, Alan very... is. We, I still see Alan quite a bit when he's because he lives in London now. I think always much. walking. He's always, always walking. Always walking. Yes. <clears throat> well, you'll be pleased to know he does listen to this show. He once got in touch and said, "I really like it." So. It'll be amazing because 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 I didn't know your early story. I just knew Johnny Boy. So was, uh, I'm you're the band that's in the narrative. <laughs> so sorry about that. That's that was so terrible. That's, no, that's all right. I don't mind. I just kind of no one's ever really asked me about any of it before. You know, like and like I said, we don't. I don't feel the need to. I think with the work when you've done work that you're so proud of that uh, it's like it's just great if someone. Uh, connects with it it's like to us it's like that's our job done we were we were like we were angry and we were punk rockers and yes. you know we just wanted to you know if, if the very essence of that pure explosion and like most explosions you can do it for like three or four years and then and then after that you see what else you can do <laughs> yeah so i i have quite a few people i've interviewed who've gone into music therapy was that quite a relief did that sort of satisfy a lot of those kind of things that you kind of needed in life do you know what it was like I remember I come back off uh I came back off a tour and then I was like going all right well I'm gonna go and volunteer at this place which is uh in Hackney you know there's lots of music studios in there so I went and volunteered and uh started running the jam on a Thursday and then as it as it went on I thought well I actually like this you know like I've been I've known so many people in bands that nowadays they get um, positioned in the in the mental health sphere, or they're bipolar, they're this, they're this. Where I just think everyone was quite odd. Musicians are odd, you know. And I, I think when we were growing up, they we were just all bunch of you know weirdos or you know or creeps. <laughs> but the the you know. So yeah, I, I I started doing that, and then I just trained up, and like, and I continue doing it, and I do it now in Camden and in Hackney, and um, I'm out four days a week. Like I say, I'm giving, I'm just, I'm in the room, like, still jamming and cheat and doing songwriting, and you know. Oh, that's uh, fantastic! Yes, yeah. keeping it all there, keeping the yes, count, keeping, keeping keeping your fingers going. in. Yeah, life. well, keeping my fingers still, always never being able to wear nails. That's it. <laughs> Fair enough. But look, if you could have said something to like your 16, 18 year old self starting out, is there any worldly or some advice that you might have just directed them to? Uh, me and Debbie thought about this quite a lot of the time when we were like doing sister lovers and like, yeah, just just chill out a bit and not stop being so serious, you know, and uh, we didn't we, we didn't know really know how to play the game either because we were all there in our baggy T-shirts and stuff, you know, and it was like. We were the sort of like straightest looking girl band in the world, but yeah, I just think I just think it would it would just be to have had more fun, 
Yes, a lot of people. A lot of people do say, "I wish we just." But then, when you're young, we're we're uptight, aren't we? Then yeah, (laughs) I'm still all a bit uptight. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I went to Live Aid, and people, oh, that must have been amazing. I was like, I was the one person who thought it was rubbish and hated it, and thought this is the worst lineup I've ever seen in my life. Well, we wanted. Yeah, I I wanted. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, what were you going to say? You I was to- going to say I wanted, you know, all my indie bands and the Bundy Boys and yeah. Aswad and Susan the Banshees and I got Howard Jones yeah. and Phil Collins and Shardy. Well, exactly. I think we all just wanted to be, as I think, I suppose that's with every generation, you just don't want to have what the people had before. Like, you know, that was like why the Pistols were always anti um status quo and anti, well, <laughs> the quo is quite an easy one to be. But like, um... <laughs> you know there's a rejection of the, the the former isn't it and i think a lot with indie music it was actually that opening up of like going well actually i can write about my life and, yes you know and i think that's definitely had a, had the spark in the punk rock era and also that with that with the homemade stuff you know because alan like we'd started off like you know his label where like i remember like years and years ago and like debbie told me that she well we used to come down to london to see alan in the early days of creation and uh he just used to we just used to get all the old white labels and go down the go down the shop in West London and sell them to get money to go out. Like so it was like, you know, it was it was all very much uh, keeping that the hedonism going, but also like, you know, to try try any way you can to not have to be part of the system. And I've managed to do it. I've not managed to have to like ever get a proper job. So I think I, I always see myself. You succeeded. Like thumbs yeah, up. Totally <laughs> thumbs up. Yes, this is good. <laughs> Well, look, this has been amazing. Thank you ever so much for this. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad in these last few weeks because I, you know, that we didn't get round to it, but I'm glad we did now. Yes, no, it's brilliant. And if you want, I can always send you the link and you can always put it on any of your social media platform sites. I will do. I will do. (laughs) I don't think I said anything. No, God, it was all absolutely (laughs) fine. No, there there was no mention any, any record label, any person. So no one can, yes, don't worry. It's all good. Anyway, look, have a lovely day. Hopefully not too. Okay, David. Take care. Thanks so much. And uh, well done as well for like keeping it going. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, David. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, is how you end a conversation. I know I could edit that out, but It keeps me amused and I enjoy that little last bit fumbling around for the end. Anyway, look, that's me talking to Lorraine Haywood or Lolly Hayes. A massive thank you for giving me the time for that. This has been The C86 Show. I'm David Esau. If you want to contact me for some interesting but groovy reason, make it nice though, don't be negative. You can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Also, all these interviews, and there has been a lot of them, are around and available on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. It's true. Anyway, thank you again, Lorraine. That's been amazing. Um, Have a great week. Stay safe.